welcome everyone. Uh, obviously, it's it's a bummer to come to you under such difficult circumstances, but this is episode 24 of This Is Not A Rebuild. We are soldiering on even though Zach McKinstry is a cub no more. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I didn't hear. Wow. Yeah. Oh, you could, you could yeah. break it to a guy. I mean, I guess I I should have done that in our pre-show production meeting and that's on me. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it's one of those things like you don't expect that two days later you're going to have to tell someone about uh, an event of this magnitude, this enormity. Uh, But, you know, that's how it goes. I am Matt Trueblood and I'm here with Todd Trueblood, who you just heard his soul leave his body as he heard about sex departure yep that's me that might be the end for me and tom nurse is here i'm listening and that's all (laughs) we can do at times like these (laughs) unfortunately uh the sheer weight of his grief at the the loss of zach mckinstry will probably prevent dj fox from joining us tonight if he is able uh to overcome sedation right now for however short a time Yeah, yeah we'll be happy to have him but uh, in the meantime, we, we go on. Well, opening day is coming. It's Wednesday night as we're talking. It's March 29th. And uh, by the time you're listening to this, the first pitch of the season might have been thrown. And, you know, despite the fact that Zach McKinstry isn't going to be there for it, I think we're allowed to to feel some joy. Uh, we'll allow ourselves that that privilege, that escape during this time. So is this early? It seems early. For opening day? Yeah. yeah. It's well, what they do now. Um, yeah. Not 20... for the 21st century. I think it's about on time. It's around Matt's birthday always, right? Yeah. Well, it's sort of flexed a little, and there was a stretch around the early part of the, the teens that they went away from it and were back to more like, late in the first week of April would be opening day. But since five years ago, they open the last Thursday in March every every year, except for last really? year okay. because of the lockout and 2020 because of COVID. But this is the new plan because uh, I think actually the last CBA provided for a slightly expanded schedule, a couple more off days than, than they've had in the past. Um, and to accommodate both that and the expanded playoffs, they have to start very early so they're not playing on into November, or at least further into November than they they leak anyway if the World Series doesn't wrap up fast. Um, so it, it is early by any historical standard, but it's the norm now. This is just well, what we do. Well, I do remember it being on your birthday a couple times, so at least yeah. once. Yeah, but then which Matt's is March thirty first for yeah, be, so. <laughs> really, it's yeah, early, late, or late, early, whatever. So this is episode twenty four, uh, which uh-huh. I would refer to as the Jerry Morales episode. Okay, okay, um, and uh, Jerry, um, wonderful Jerry, uh, I, I love Jerry Morales. Did Tom? What did you think of Jerry Morales? Hey, I love the basket catch. That's for sure. Yes. See, you don't see that anymore ever. When's the last time you saw that? I think the last time he dropped the ball. <laughs> that was the last time we saw it. He had a long Could talk be. with uh, Herman Franks, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, Jerry played twice for the Cubs. 
uh, from 74 through through 77, and then uh, again in 81, 82, 83. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 24 seems to be a number that a lot of those people that I recall fondly or, or I recall um, war. It doesn't seem to be the the number of a standout player. I mean, Henry Blanco, who we loved, I loved. Wow. He was 24. Um, uh, let's see. Luis Valbuena, one of Matt's mm-hmm. favorites. The award number 24. Um, Manny Alexander, who no one remembers. Oh, come he, on. He was a speedster. He was this a is, yeah. This yeah, is it's... a podcast that respects the legacy of Manny Alexander. We talked <laughs> about him on one of our it's first true. couple of shows. Manny... Oh was famous for one thing during his Cubs tenure, which was okay. he is also a native of San pa- Pedro de Macariz. Ah. And he's kind of built like Sammy. And there's a, if you squint, close one eye and squint the other and tilt your head to the side and you're 50 feet away, he actually just kind of looks like Sammy. He'd hmm. be Sammy's body double often in like 98, 99, when they needed to get when they needed to divert a crowd because Sammy was, you know, Elvis for a couple of years there. Yep, right. They used Manny Alexander as bait. <laughs> well, uh, also used to wear 24 was uh, Steve Bichelle, going mm-hmm. with the Steve theme again. And a, a throwback to last week in 1972, Pete Lecoq wore number 24. <laughs> mm. But uh, do you guys know the... Hall of Famer who wore number 24 for the Cubs. I guess it would have to be Ralph Kiner. Nope. 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 Hmm. Was he good with the Cubs or he was like, did his Hall of Fame stuff with another team and then came over? Uh, other way around, he was ah, young with the Cubs ah, and so went like somewhere Palmeiro else to situation. become. Okay, yeah, not quite that late. Okay, hmm. I'll give you a, a fairly strong hint in that he became an MHC. Twenty. Oh, Lou Brock. Lou Brock, yes. Oh, Lou Brock was twenty-four. Huh. That's what it says. Uh, wow. I, I, I'm relying on the internet, so. No, yeah, I think I remember that he wore it for Willie um, as most wearers of 24 probably do um but he couldn't once he got to st louis for whatever reason i don't remember who had it so he switched to 20 and that was his number for the cardinals for years and years i'm remembering that right right that it was 20 that he yeah 20 that's right yeah yes yep yeah so there you go i mean there's other names out there dexter fowler was number 24 i mean yeah i i think a lot of our our broad listener base would have been uh, very confused if we talked this much about Jerry Morales and Manny Alexander <laughs> and not about Dexter Fowler at all. They'd be confused. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he did help us win that uh, that big series. I can't remember what it's called, but yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mean the 2015 NLDS over the Cardinals? Yeah. He, he well, was that one too. Important. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, another podcast favorite, favorite of at least one of the co-hosts of this podcast anyway, Roosevelt Brown wore 24. He did, so. yes. I saw it, but uh, I only saw him for one year. That that's a, I thought he had a longer tenure with the Cubs. Maybe yeah, he switched think, numbers. I think one of those years he had a September call-up, 
spring training kind of number, but I don't know for sure. Yeah. Speak of speaking of being built like a brick house. Yeah. That boy was, yeah, he was with a rock. Oh, wait. Speaking of that, didn't Marlon Mm. Bird wear 24 too? He did. Yes. Another person that built like a boulder. Yeah. That was, that was, uh, me and Maria's nickname for Marlon Bird, the boulder. It was just (laughs) what he was. He rolled around the field more than he ran. Like, I've never seen someone so thick who gave no impression whatsoever of being fat. It's a tough, tough balance to strike. But he yeah. was just, yeah. Uh, who was the who's the center fielder for the Twins? It was reminded me of him. Oh, famous Kirby. one, Kirby. Yeah, but Kirby was portly. I mean, yeah, it was. Yeah, it well, was he muscle, got that way but, later. Yeah, but it had there was a a gut there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, speaking of the Morales basket catch, and you know, everything in baseball, everything ever but especially everything in baseball has been independently invented many times mm-hmm. um but i've been throwing a lot of fly balls for sorkin he's getting ready yeah. for his little league season <laughs> and he has completely unknowingly he just reinvented the ricky henderson snatch catch <laughs> uh, i think he was seeing if he could get under my skin with it but i told him it's cool (laughs) he just has to learn to do it the way ricky did which was you know he'd make it look like he was swatting at the ball as he caught it you know yep but really and and this was in the uh, very very good howard bryant ricky biography that came out last year i think that everyone should read but uh it was mentioned ricky had everybody fooled he'd really let the ball hit the webbing and just as it did then he'd make that snatch and swoosh so it looked like he was risking a a silly drop every time but he really wasn't um so i'm I'm trying to train him to do it exactly like that but he's he's having fun with it uh yeah a uh, a buckner used to do that at first base um not maybe not all the time but he would do it occasionally and i swear i remember him doing that and missing it and catching it right in the forehead oh my gosh really (laughs) yeah Sounds like Buckner. That's just yeah. his luck, man. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Buckner, actually, we can we can use this moment to pivot okay. toward the actual 2023 Cubs. Nice. Weird, I know that we would venture onto that topic, but we might. And as well. Buckner can do that. That's strange that that would happen too. By the way, number 24 for this year's Cubs, Cody Bellinger, could be a good one. Oh. We'll see. Uh, I wrote a piece at Northside Baseball the new Cubs site that I'm writing for. And if you're listening to this and you haven't already checked it out, do it, northsidebaseball.com. But anyway, uh, I wrote a piece earlier this week about the possibility, just the, you know, it's a little bit of a dream, but we might as well do a little dreaming because it's opening week. Uh, The top of the order, which seems to be locked in as Horner, Swanson, Hap, could they sort of mimic the dynamic that uh, the 84 Cubs created with Dernier, Sandberg, and Sarge, right? Hmm. And once I did that, I started hmm. thinking about, are there other sort of poignant or cogent similarities between the 84 Cubs, who were such an unexpected success, and this year's team? Um, and one that strikes me that I don't, you know, you got to actually make this 
this thing now, but it, it's kind of there for the taking. Is remember, as of opening day in '84, the Cubs still had Bill Buckner, the right, yep, basically wow. decrepit version, and they wanted out, and they they had committed to making Leon Durham the everyday first baseman, but Buckner was just hanging around. It was this awkward situation, and uh, they finally got him out of town. I think if the Cubs are going to have this sort of sneak up and be really good season. You know, it doesn't have to happen today or anything, but they got to be quick about moving Eric Hosmer on and bringing up Matt Mervis and making that same switch that the 84 Cubs were willing to to throw and say, all right, veteran, get out of the way now. It's the the young guy's time who has some promise left to him. Um, obviously, it's not like Durham turned into a generational talent, but you had to capture the value while it was there. And I think that's the same thing that Mervis, you know, Matt Mervis is not the next Anthony Rizzo. But if he's got two or three good big league seasons in him, one of them is probably this year. And I think you might as well, you know, especially if he just has a hot start at Iowa or something, find that out soon, act on it fast, and get Eric Hosmer out of the way, unless it's not an awkward situation and he's just really, really good for that clubhouse. You know, that could be a, a different thing to revisit. But it's another connection between that unexpectedly good Cubs team and what we can still hope will be an unexpectedly competitive one this year. How old is Mervis? 24, hmm. I think. A little older than, you know, he was a college draftee, well, not drafted because it was a five-round draft in 2020 because of COVID, but he was he signed out of that class. Um and usually you'd be 21 at that point. So I, I think that'd make him 24 now, but 24, 25, something in that range. Still time to do impressive stuff. Um, but they did send him to the minors. And what did you guys have any strong opinions on Christopher Morrell going to Iowa? Oh, I guess I didn't realize he, he went down. So who are the infielders then? That's who, a good who question. Made the team? Obviously, McKinstry didn't. <laughs> right. The Tiger now. It looks like the opening day position player roster is Jan Gomes, uh, Tucker Barnhart, and Luis Torrens made the team as the third catcher slash a right-handed DH or first base option. Um, th that one's an interesting choice that they made. We can maybe get into that more. But those Go ahead three, and say it, Todd. <laughs> Danny isn't here, Mrs. Torrance. <laughs> okay. So two and a half catchers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got Hosmer, Horner, Swanson, Wisdom, Miles Mastroboni. Uh yeah, Mastroboni, by the way, not Bodie. As far he as he made it tell. ahead of um Bodie. Bodie they sent down. Well, Bodie was already not on the 40 man. Um so they'd have had to clear another spot on the 40-man roster to get him on there. Uh, plus, I think, especially at this stage of Bodie's career, you know, when he first came up, he was a really solid second baseman defensively. Good at third. You could even put him at short in an emergency. I think all that's kind of by the boards now. Some of the injuries he's had, you know, he's he's okay at second or third. You could play him there, but you don't want to on a regular basis anyway. And then again, it's it's roster math. Plus, Master Boney's a left-handed hitter. 
with some speed. So a lot of little reasons add up to him making it and Bodie missing. Uh, I mean, I like Bodie, but so, so I don't really want to say this, but why are we bothering? Well, they outrighted him and no one claimed him back in November. Mm-hmm. They just well, that signed that well. I mean, they signed that contract, <laughs> contract yeah. a few years ago. It, it doesn't make him like a, a eight figure salary or anything, but he's, it's just enough that nobody wanted to take that money on and fit him onto the edge of their roster. And then once he gets outrighted, you might as well hold on to him. There's no reason to shove him out the door. He's still a good guy. He's handled, I think, the adversity of his career, you know, ascending to a point and then sort of flattening back out. I think he's handled that well. So they feel like better to have around than not, um, which I guess could change. But uh, yeah, it's it was a lot of interesting decisions and they really came down to the wire. They kept more guys in camp for longer than I think pretty much anybody expected. Um, but rounding it out, Edwin Rios made the team as the left-handed complement to Wisdom at third base. Nick Madrigal is still clinging to the roster as hmm. third base back up to Nico at second. I guess pinch hit if there's a runner on third and one out and you think he can just put the ball in play. Um, so those little things, but that's about it. And then Hap and Cody Bellinger and Trey Mancini. Uh, so Mancini so did make it? Mancini? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Good spring, as did Rios. Yeah. They're, they're locked in. Uh, Mancini was really locked in. He signed a free agent deal, and they could have cut him, but it would have been costly and costly, weird. Yeah. yeah, he was never never in much danger. Um, Look, I'm looking at the, the Cubs site, I guess this is. it's I don't know what the hell is the app or whatever and uh, they've got 28 people on this uh so that uh, this hasn't been updated i guess uh possibly not or unless they get yeah get if Suzuki that shows Saya as active yeah. and uh brandon hughes is active i think both of them are starting on the injured list so okay that'll do it yeah, yeah. brandon hughes interesting choices and it's still a like it's not hard to see the flaws in this roster but it's also uh, I like that some of these guys cracked it. Uh, Javier Assad, reliever on the big league team. They're not mm. sending him to Iowa and keeping him stretched out. They liked what they saw in the WBC. Yep. And here he is now. That's pretty cool. Um, we have to mention the recently departed uh, Kyle Hendrick. Kyle Hendrick. He's- He's gone? What did I miss? See, this time of year, I miss stuff. Not gone. Just Not uh, gone? What? No. Hendrix? Yes. Unless I missed something huge today. I don't think that's so. Kyle um, Hendrix is history, boys. Are you serious? Yeah. Where'd he go? Uh, I don't know. Uh, does anybody have access to the internet? I'm working on <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Now, how I, could I have got this wrong, gentlemen? I don't, I don't know, Tom. But if this, is, if this is true, you're breaking some massive news to me. <laughs> that even the Cubs front office was apparently unaware of. Okay. Whoa, one day ago. 
What's it say? On on cubbyscrib.com. Yeah. Chicago Cubs deal Kyle Hendricks to Phillies in laughable MLB. What the hell is this? This is stupid. Yeah, It's, it's not, not a real, real thing. thing. It's no. not a real thing. Okay. No. Fake news. Fake That's news. Fake. Uh, Easy there, Don. <laughs> when the news is actually fake, you have to say that. It's just well, gets dangerous. Like it's all. April Fool's Day. Is like April 29th a day of or it's, I not don't even, know. it's March. I don't know what's going on. Okay, well, never mind. Yeah. Okay, so websites like this should be slapped. Can you slap a website? It's hard. It's tricky, but I'm sure you could manage it. Yeah, uh, digitally slap them. It's a it's a lot of concentration. Mindfulness meditation. You have to reach it's out a... with your mind and slap them. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and... Hendricks will be on the injured list. And I think, hmm, I think probably even put on this 60 day at some point, just when they need a 40 man spot. Um, but, you know, he's still around. And I think even maybe a, a hair ahead of where they had expected him to be as of a month ago, he's ramping up smoothly and didn't have any issues with his first couple of bullpens. So that's good. Um, might also be one reason why they're more comfortable having Assad in the bullpen is because Hendricks's uh, depth, you know, he'll return to the rotation at some point if someone gets hurt or is ineffective. Uh, Adrian Sampson's waiting in Iowa. They optioned him. So, you know, some different, different ways they can stop the gap if somebody goes down or if Drew Smiley completely implodes. Not that, that would happen because that's a, a noble Todd and we know that yes. that he'll bear up under the pressure. Yes. But, he's uh we're we're nothing if not uh steady. <laughs> uh let's see. Oh, I, I we're kind of burying the lead. There the Cubs finally signed one of their players mm. to an extension yeah right right right, right. Uh, only gets one year more of team control and it doesn't come with any club options uh, it's a weird kind of deal in a vacuum i would think it was weird in this particular situation it makes all the sense in the world because nico just hasn't done enough where they were going to pay nine figures to keep him around you know into his 30s and at the same time he has done enough and is close enough to free agency that he wasn't going to sign away the rest of his career, you know, into his early to mid thirties without getting that big payday. So they found something that pushes free agency one year further up the road and gives them, you know, buys both sides a little more time to see if they want to forge a, a really long-term partnership. And in the meantime, the Cubs get some cost certainty and, they know, all right, now it's four years of um, Swanson and Horner up the middle, you know? Yeah, and it, I like that. That, uh, that that gives us some stability, uh, hopefully good stability and not, uh, yeah, uh, stability of shittiness. Um, yeah, between Dansby and and uh, Nico, that's pretty good. And and half of our our podcast team uh, picked Nico as the Cubs MVP, if I correct, if I remember correctly. I think that's right. Uh, he's you know he's 
a good player and I really admire the way he's turned himself into a consistently good player and, and an even better player over time. When he came up, you know, he was rushed to the big leagues. We know that in late 2019 and 2020 was weird for everyone, but it took him so long to sort of find a, an approach that actually suited his skill set at the plate. Like you can make a lot of contact, but it's got to be quality contact and you're not going to hit for enough power to just swing from the heels that it's not producing what it needs to produce for you to do that. So instead he's forged this, I'm being a little more patient, but still aggressive enough to, to take a hit when a pitcher gives it to me, you know, it, he does that thing that I, I wish more good hitters these days would do where if he knows a guy's going to throw him something away, even if it's a good pitch on the outer outside corner, he hits it hard to right field and can get hits there. Um, he's matured that way. He's worked hard to be a really good defender. And I think not only securing that player, but rewarding that makeup and, and the stuff that they say he adds to the clubhouse too is more than worth, a, you know, a, a small extra commitment like this. Um, and it's seemingly for, for that seemingly for that tier of player, uh, this is a, a, a decent commitment uh, in today's MLB, I would think. I mean, seven years, was it seven years for Swansby? Yep. Uh, you know, that's one thing, but four for Nico is, to me, that's saying, hey, we like what you're doing and, and we want you to keep doing it. And, you know, beyond four years, I don't know. And with this deal, I mean, the reason he's willing to do this form of this deal is now he'll still hit free agency at just about the age that Dansby was was when he hit free agency. Uh, so if over the next four years he's consistently productive and does what you know we kind of hope he will, then he's going to be in position for that major payday. Um, so it works for both sides. It, you know they. It doesn't seem like there's going to be other extensions forthcoming. They, oh, you know, add one year to Horner, but Ian Happ is in the Wilson Contreras slash Baez Bryant uh, Rizzo position heading into this year from every indication. So that's going to be awkward, and, and it makes the stakes of the early part of the season uncomfortably high, right? We know that if they stumble out of the gate, we're going to have to start kicking around. Okay. Do they trade Hap? Do they trade Bellinger? Do they trade Stroman? Do they trade all, you know, Trey Mancini who signed a two-year deal, but can opt out of it if he gets a certain amount of playing time. So if he starts strong, but the team starts weak, now he becomes a trade chip too. Mm -hmm. I don't want to jump to those conversations now or even soon. Uh, but I do think for reasons we've talked about over the last couple episodes, it just wasn't that likely they were going to get an extension done with Ian. Now we kind of know for sure that that's true and they can just focus on trying to be good enough that we're not even talking about whether to trade him. 
you know, because if come July they're right in the hunt for a wild card spot or something, then you're talking more about adding and not about trading a guy like him away. And yeah, hopefully well, let's that's let's just... go that way for a while. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, it's about the... twelve hours till the uh, lineups will probably be made uh, official. Although I think we know what they are already because it's opening day, but I'm really excited about tomorrow. It's always it's been a spe- it's always a special day for me and millions of others. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think the weather it seems like it's going to be cold, but right, but clear. not necessarily rainy. Yeah, and right. the wind even blowing out, so that's kind of oh, nice. hello. Uh, yeah, I don't hmm. doesn't necessarily favor the Cubs over the Brewers. They've got, if anything considerably more power but uh at the same time marcus stroman will neutralize power some by keeping the ball on the ground and stuff and if corbin burns has a weakness it's that he sometimes will throw it into the barrel of your bat so go get him boys yeah and when those power guys come up throw at them (laughs) start working with Contreras inside right away set that (laughs) yeah yeah. Tom should be happy. Am I seeing that Keegan Thompson made the team? He did. He did. The velocity yeah. was down, but ultimately he like just from a getting outs perspective, did a great job this spring. And I think they feel like his velocity will naturally increase as, you know, he ramps up and the weather warms and his secondary stuff was looking good uh in the Cactus League. So he made the team and it's, I don't know. I think the roster kind of came out the way you would have hoped most places. Maybe you would have loved if Morel came in and asserted himself. And I know you guys aren't really online the way to the extent that me and DJ are. But a lot of Cubs Twitter is mad about Christopher Morel being sent down. Sort of understandably, it was he was a lot of fun to watch last year, right? Right. But also, the bad streaks were really bad. and. The main problem was he just gets that good bat speed started too late, too slow, and he gets beat by fastballs and he swings and misses at a catastrophic rate against fastballs. And even though he hit for a decent amount of power and made some impressive plays this spring, he was still swinging and missing at a catastrophic rate against fastballs. You just, Mm. if you're going to be the guy who by a pretty healthy margin, swings and misses at fastballs more often than anyone else in baseball, which is what he was when he was in the majors last year. You've got to have not good power, but like elite power and really good plate discipline. And his power was good, but not elite. And his plate discipline came and went. So I think Iowa is the right place for him. And hopefully they refine that in some way. You know, you can, you can clean up a hitch and in a swing and we know the bat speed's good enough to catch up to heat if he just gets started quicker um maybe you can refine the approach maybe you can also give him time to bounce around and and clean things up defensively at some of the spots where he's a good athlete but he's not necessarily a good fielder at any one spot yet right you so, kind of makes me want to go to iowa um, is PCA <laughs> going to be there and, and Brennan Dave, I mean, are all those guys going to be triple a Brennan Davis? Yes. Uh, Matt Mervis. Yes. Wow. PCA, I think is starting in Tennessee. They oh, could wow. even 
possibly start him back in South Bend, but I'm pretty sure he's going straight to Tennessee. Um, but he won't be in Iowa right away. But yeah, it's going to be an entertaining lineup. I should look up too, because uh, they're in the same league now as the St. Paul Saints. So if they come mm. visit the Saints soon, we could all uh, see a game close to one of our homes. There we go. But uh, This happens to be yours. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I didn't say it wasn't more convenient for me. <laughs> turning down that that bit of good fortune. Uh, we are in a good spot to take a break. And when we come back, we'll uh, do sort of our routine silliness to close down the second half of what's going to be a shorter episode. Again, we're all grieving Zach McKinstry. And also, mm-hmm. by the time a lot of you listen to this, there might be baseball and stuff going on that could make what we're talking about outdated. So we'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll uh, chat a bit more. And see you then. We're back, just like I told you we would be. Uh, we're gonna. I do have one into... comment though. One quick comment. Oh, go ahead. Did you mention that uh, Cubs Twitter went crazy about um, morale going down? But is there anything worse than Twitter? <laughs> does twitter have a is there any redeeming quality to twitter well yeah it's just elon musk is trying to squash out as much of it as he can uh okay and even the redeeming quality that was there was plenty well counterbalanced but it could be worse uh it could always be worse their truth social still exists so (laughs) that's true i guess (laughs) Okay, go ahead. All right. Well, we're going to do our regular segments and just sort of, uh, like I said, probably a shorter show tonight, but also leave some room to see what comes up organically. And I will lead us off because for the first time in three episodes, has it been that long? Have I been that derelict in my duties? Uh, You've been holding out on us. Yeah, I think it's building up to some (laughs) sort of a climax. (laughs) It's it going to be, is it going to, it's going to be. No, okay. it's not. Larry Bittner. I said it first. Damn so it. Just in case Damn it is, it. I win. It's, <laughs> it's not Larry Bittner. Okay, and, you know, good. It's also not Jerry Morales. Although, okay. Bullet sort of nearly dodged. He was on a little list that I made at one point. And then I, I decided he played too much and was going to be too easy to get for you guys. Uh, this guy. Is a he was a relief pitcher for the Cubs, uh, signed as a free agent in 1981, and he pitched for the Cubs in 1982 and 1983. Over those two seasons, he pitched in 144 games, a total of 222 innings, had 168 strikeouts, 89 walks. Went nine and fourteen with sixteen saves. Wow. Eighty-two. Eighty two and eighty-three were his seasons with the Cubs. Sixteen sixteen saves over those two years. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Yep. Okay. Oh boy. And he signed as a cub. I mean, he came up as a cub. 
No, he signed as a free agent with the Cubs. He, uh-huh. These were two years in his mid-30s, actually. Hmm. I don't know if I gave you guys his ERA. It was 4.13 across the two seasons. He actually led the league in appearances in 83 with 82 games that year. So he's more of a setup man than a closer, obviously, hopefully. 16 saves isn't all that much. No, a little bit of a rubber arm that way. You know, he had 82 appearances and 122 innings, all in relief for that 83 team. Uh, I don't know if it's a, a matchup. He was a righty. I don't know if this was a matchup thing, like he had a special platoon vulnerability or if Lee Elia was just addicted to intentional walks. Of the 89 walks he issued across two seasons with the Cubs, 31 of them were intentional. Wow. Wow. That's kind of weird for, yeah. for a reliever. Well, maybe not. I guess he comes into a game and walks the first guy, right? I'm he trying to think of any pitcher in that group. I can't even That's think right of That's right, our wheelhouse, though, Todd. And I think this is I an know. era, too, because this is when the Cubs transitioned from Family ownership to corporate ownership, right? Yeah, the, yeah. The Tribune and Harry came along in this era, and Milo left in this era, and uh, so, so this uh, that's probably the right time for he was a, for Willie Hernandez, but he was a uh, better yeah. he was a better reliever than that. I, I think. And I think he was around. Oh, he was lefty. Longer. He was a yeah, lefty too, and he's younger too. I think it. it Willie was was Willie on that team? He had to be. I'm sure he was. And That's a good question. I, it's I'm not sure Willie Hernandez, as you yeah. figured yeah, out. Okay. But yeah. Wow. This guy. About, no, he was a starter. I think he pitched for a good while for the Red Sox, uh, and a little bit for the, the Twins. Sox. He won two Rollades Relief Man of the Year awards. Two of wow. them. Wow. Oh. For who, Matt? The Red Sox? Hang on, let me double check. I think it was one for Minnesota and one for Boston, but I need to... Okay, yeah, uh, I know who this is. Boy, I will never get the name. I know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, I can see him like in the sporting news with like a fireman's hat on. Uh, And I was super excited when the Cubs got him, and I thought he didn't do that well for the Cubs, but... He did... He did make one very important contribution to the team, though. Maybe this will be a hint that unlocks it for you. The reason I chose him is because he was the centerpiece of the deal on March 26th of 1984 that brought in Bob Dernier and Gary Matthews. Oh, um, uh, so he went the other way. Uh, um, he went... So it, it, um... The handlebar mustache guy. Um, really? I don't know. That's what I'm, I'm thinking. T- Tidrow. Tidro. It is not Dick Tidro. Oh crap! That's no. right. Time frame. I it's think. like yeah, he's just, yeah. He's, you are Tidro's right. You know, in the right area, but it's not him. No, it's Bill Campbell. It's Bill Campbell. Bill Campbell. Yeah. Is it? Oh Good yeah. Work. Good job, Tom. Yeah, Bill. yeah. He was like a stud. Uh, reliever as matt said and huh. but i think he's probably a little past his prime when he came over uh, so yeah 
what how long was the contract he signed for the cubs uh that's a good question i was using baseball reference and they just say that you know the guy signed a contract rather than that you know the exact terms of it he was still so he signed after 81 however long the deal extended he was still under the cubs control for them to trade him right before 84 I don't see that. So at the end of 85, the Cardinals released him. So I'm guessing it was a four-year deal running 82 to 85, um, mm. uh, which sounds a little nuts, a four-year deal for a mid-30s relief pitcher. Uh, but at the time, people, first of all, free agency was new and nobody was making rational decisions. And secondly, people were throwing around money for good firemen. Um, I think that's the, we've alluded before to Bruce Suter signed a deal with the Braves that ended up paying him like a million dollars a year for literally the rest of his life or $2 million a year for the rest of his life because they had to restructure it because uh, they initially signed him to like a seven-year deal or something with a bunch of deferred money. So that was just what was happening in that time in that uh, market. But yeah. Bill Campbell. Hmm. Yeah. I have no recollection of this man. Hmm. I, mean, a, I, I know the name, I guess, but other than that. What I was, it was, oh, I was listening to a podcast about the Kansas City Royals um, hosted by Randy Gisarely, one of the co founders of Baseball Prospectus. And he pulled out just because, again, it's the time of year for dreaming, and the Royals are going to be really bad this year like much worse than the Cubs. But he and his co-host were kind of like, well, what would it take? And he actually, Randy, pulled out a copy of the 1984 Bill James Baseball Abstract, which I guess, I didn't really know this until listening to that, but I guess that kind of put James on the map because in it, he had an essay in which he said, all the ingredients are here for miracle of a cubs team Um, Hmm. and he listed a bunch of things here's the thing here was my big takeaway from it randy didn't even land on this conclusion you know it apparently was accepted at the time like oh great prediction bill because no one thought the 84 cubs were going to be any good and you did and they won a bunch so you know from then on it was sabermetrics must be a thing Hmm. i'm pretty sure bill was dead ass wrong he was just wrong (laughs) the essay was nonsense because at the time that he wrote it the cubs didn't have gary matthews or bob dernier wow wow you know then in the early part of the season they traded for dennis eckersley and then for rick sutcliffe like yeah the 84 cubs actually would have been really bad yeah not for a, a series of big moves that happened well after James wrote that stuff. I like that. He was right, but he was wrong because yeah. Yeah. too soon. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just kind of wild to think about. I don't know. But uh, yeah, the 84 Cubs were assembled at the last possible second to do what they did. Um, doesn't look like the Cubs have a similarly impactful trade coming, but that's okay. It's, They don't make trades like that anymore. No, and when teams try, it doesn't tend to go as well. 
like yeah. last year, the uh, right before opening day, the Twins traded Taylor Rogers, their longtime closer, to the Padres, who were in the market for a closer, for Chris Paddock, a starter who was not going to make the Padres rotation but had upside, and the Twins were hoping, you know, we can help him put it together, and Emilio Pagan, who had been like the Padres' key setup man the previous year. Pagan was a nightmare who cost him four or five games just by giving up homer after clutch homer. And Paddock had Tommy John surgery for the second time. <laughs> and Rogers started really hot and then collapsed. And the Padres traded him as only one small part of the Josh Hader trade in July. So those kinds of trades, when teams try them now, it's sort of more out of, I guess the thing is that even that 84 Cubs trade was kind of out of desperation I, or maybe not quite desperation on either side, but a little bit of chaos. Uh, it's not like it was just unremitting genius. It was just, it worked out really, really well. Yeah. Uh, it's as, as much because Dallas green liked those guys right. as anything else. Yeah. He wanted to round. It was kind of an Aaron Rodgers situation, really. Uh, yeah. If I, if I have to go to Chicago, I'm bringing all the guys I like best in Philadelphia with me. Right. Uh, At least we can, you know, go to dinner. Yeah. But they won. They did. They, they kind of won. You know, they, what I what I don't remember about 84 is how, how well positioned were they when they went and got Sutcliffe? Were they smelling blood? Were they like, hey, we can do it this season. Let's get this guy. Let's trade away young talent. Yeah. Went on to do great things. What was that the case, or because Sutcliffe did so well, it makes yeah. me kind of think that maybe they were doing pretty good, but but were they thinking that they might win the division? They definitely were. Um, I love talking about this actually because it's it is a thing that is I can only sort of guess and feel at it by watching old YouTube games, um, reading old newspaper accounts or, or books that recount those types of seasons. Uh, it's all someone else's memory to me. You guys might have the memory, but I feel like over the last 30 plus years, it gets yeah, distorted. <laughs> um, even for people who it's like their job to follow the game. I don't think they're, they realize what a change has happened. Right. It used to be, you came out of the gate, so opening day happens, you play for a few weeks. If you even have a good first few weeks in April, people start getting kind of excited, but you're still feeling out your team, right? And then the theory of the time, as best I can tell, especially in the 80s, the theory of the time was everybody's got a chance, and if you come out really bad in April, you're supposed to use May to restructure your roster and make a more honest run at it, right? Like, it's not too late to turn the ship around, even though it started <laughs> sailing in the wrong direction. You didn't have teams either going into the season planning to be tankers or, you know, knowing that they were going to be sellers at the deadline. And you didn't even have as much of a dynamic of buying and selling, period. What you had was everybody's trying to improve. So you're shopping for either a team who really cratered and is going to head into a rebuild now, but those were rare, or just a team that matches up with your needs. You know, their needs 
match your surplus and your needs match their surplus, that kind of thing. Uh, the 84 Cubs were in good shape. Like they, I watched a game from late April of that year that they played in at Bush Stadium. And yeah, people were already getting excited, even though they were just tied with the Cardinals. Might have even fallen a half game behind them that day or something. But the fact that, especially after the previous half decade, which was some of the darkest times in Cubs history, <laughs> um, just that they would even come out with a strong first month had people sort of jazzed up. Um, and I watched a game from early May where they, the <laughs> famous game that I drafted in our Cubs moments draft that had that prolonged argument turned brawl with the Reds. Right. Mm -hmm. That was yeah. right at the beginning of May, just after they had traded for Dennis Eckersley, because they went, oh, our starting rotation's not deep enough, but the rest of the team is kind of keeping us interesting. So let's go supplement. And then by June, it was clear that Eckersley wasn't going to be a sufficient supplement. So that's when they tacked Sutcliffe onto it. And yeah, that was really a, a case of go get him. But it was... Uh, there were a lot of teams who would be interested in doing it at that kind of time because back then, and it would only be true, I think one more year before that it moved, but back then the trade deadline was June 15th. So All right. yeah. you had to wow. make your decisions about what your team was or wasn't earlier. And then once you made a trade, it had much more time to have a major impact. So maybe my team is bad, but, by June 15th, I have to make whatever changes I want to make. And thereafter, they've got a solid three and a half months to to climb, right? And the Cubs obviously weren't bad, but what they were was not yet a team that would go on to finish with 96 wins. They were probably on pace for more like high 80s. And then Sutcliffe juiced them. Um, well, and he did. Totally different dynamic than what we see now with and the later deadline and again, the sort of stratified competitive field. I think I remember this correctly. He was four and four uh, before they brought him over and ended up 20 four and, and five. Four and five? I think he was four and five with Cleveland. And, and then, then won 16, 16 and one. straight. One, okay. That's, that's, I mean, that's held, that's a lot of juice. <laughs> 16 and one. Yeah. yeah. Well, the results are not, you know, like that's, again, some of it is is good luck or whatever, but yeah. it was well, yeah. But Cubs I, haven't had hadn't had that in the past, right? That good luck I, thing. I think it was just that maybe this is one thing that you could validly argue is worse about the game now in the era of analytics and everyone understanding where runs and wins come from and. Mm -hmm. who's going to be good and who's going to be bad known with much more certainty before the season even starts is that teams aren't making an honest try to be competitive. And then if they aren't competitive immediately to turn themselves into something competitive within a season, you know? Yeah. I mean, think of that, that, that trade probably would not have ha would not happen today because they, they traded Mel Hall and uh, Joe Carter, correct? Yeah, and yeah. Think of that. Those are two young prospects. Yeah. For they traded for a guy who was four and five, 
and and his I don't know what his ERA or his DRA or his IRA what <laughs> I don't know what that was. Uh, but yes, four hundred one k. But think of that. That would they even make that trade in today's stat filled world? It'd be different. No and again, it no it probably happened a full month later, which is right. Yeah. Such a such a different thing. Um, which when when he could have been five and ten by then, or not maybe not right. not not that far, but you know, he, yeah, you yeah. know, four and four and eight or four and whatever. And again, uh, and not to you know keep kicking Bill James, I guess, but uh, you could almost give him credit for being like, well, he he saw that they had this talent that they could use as surplus to to go add a guy at the deadline, you know. Hey, kick uh, Bill James all you want. The guy owes me 50 bucks. So, <laughs> But also, James, again, I, assuming that he didn't foresee the trade that brought in Dernier and Matthews, that was two-thirds of a starting outfield. And that's yeah. why you could trade Joe Joe Carter and Mel Hall come June. You know, you, you could get rid of those guys only because you'd made that March trade. Um, so, I don't know. It's... Now, was Joe Carter, I mean, he went on, you know, to achieve greatness, um, perennial, seemingly MVP candidate, but was he playing for the 84 Cubs? Was, I mean, was that a small hole they had to fill or was he even, he must not have been anybody in 84. Yeah. Well, I think they knew he could hit. Um, It was not yet clear which would be his defensive home. Um, Mm Mm-hmm left fielder right fielder third base and um, ultimately they didn't need him at any of those spots and especially early in the season it really didn't seem like they needed him because while Buckner was still around and gathering up a start or two um, and before Keith Moreland had sort of seized you know his job they were playing Hall or especially or even Leon Durham out in right field a little bit. That's um, right. I forgot about wow, Leon playing right. out there. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it was just this guy is a big league caliber, but redundant because we've got a little bit of depth at that particular spot. Um, I think they knew they were giving up someone decent, um, but it, by the time June rolled around, it made a lot of sense because, again, Matthews and Dernier were clearly working out well and Moreland had become what Moreland became for a couple of years there. And you just weren't going to need those guys. So everything fell into place. I, a good takeaway is the eighties, you know, a lot of teams were doing a lot of stupid stuff, but they would just do stuff. If something wasn't working, they were going to try something different and they were going to try a lot of things in short sequence. Uh, and maybe that mostly made uh, for more randomness, but it was a fun sort of randomness. So I don't know. I'm not saying we should revert to all of those systems or, or ways of thinking about the game. But uh, I think I've talked to you guys about it before that I would be in favor, I think, of moving the deadline back to June 15th and forcing teams to reframe what the deadline is the way we just discussed because i don't really love what especially over the last decade what the deadline has become it's just a a swapping of guys 
from bad teams who don't care to good teams who don't have to pay very much for guys who are going to leave right after in free agency. That's yeah, not. Yeah. I think that was cool. It, it's interesting too. There was a the there was the legacy of just really horrible teams, you know, back in the twenties and thirties. And I think by the time the seventies rolled around or maybe even the sixties, they kind of wanted to do something about that. Like teams tanking or not even intentionally tanking, like maybe not trying. And do you remember when Bowie Kuhn nixed all of those trades that uh, Finley did oh, yeah. in yeah. 75? Yep. I think today it'd be like, well, go ahead and do whatever you want to do. You know? Right. Yeah. I think they're, although that might've been just because um, what's his face, Charles Finley was making the trades and Bowie Kuhn hated him. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, uh, is personal almost making the trades to stick a finger in uh Kuhn's eye which is part of it too where it's like the commissioner stepped in it wasn't exactly for noble reasons but also the trades weren't necessarily being made in good faith as much as to um just sort of again whack the league office itself so yeah it was uh I think the eighties were an especially good time of we'd emerged from this. You know, there was a lot of expansion there that helped level things out a bit, but also just the economics of the game got shaken up a little more. And those perennial losers were no longer stuck in that rut. I mean, it's not fully by coincidence that it was in the mid seventies that the Phillies finally came alive after three quarters of a century of being just a doormat, wow. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a long uh, random cub segment as it turned out, but <laughs> good stuff there. Dad, yep. do you have a landscape tip for us? I do. I do. You said a sentence a little while ago that applies to my line of work. You said, this is the time of year for dreaming. Um, and so people get excited. Spring is, is, here in some areas not so much in uh northeast wisconsin it's still a little chilly and they're talking about snow on the weekend but mm. spring is coming you can hear it it's coming at us full thousand miles an hour um and what has what what can happen and has happened to me and will happen to people who get too maybe a little too overzealous about what they want to do in the spring a lot of people especially if they're like a new homeowner or whatever they think geez i want a garden i'm going to plant this huge garden it's going to have this and 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 this and, this. and it they 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 shoot too far uh and what can happen is that you create this huge garden that's roughly the size of half of your backyard that's got every vegetable you can think of uh surrounded by a beautiful picket fence uh, and then by the middle of June, it's it's full of weeds and uh, dying plants um, because that's a lot of work. So ease yourself into it. This is uh, the I cannot recommend this more strongly. Just start small. Plant two tomato plants, maybe four, maybe a couple peppers. Just something to kind of build your enthusiasm. And then next year, maybe you add uh, some corn. Maybe you add uh, cucumbers, uh, you know, may, whatever it is. Uh, just 
whatever you like and and want to be involved with, take your time. Don't try to create uh, the victory garden, which probably doesn't apply that no one knows what that remembers what that is, but maybe me. Um, but don't try to do too much. Take your time, ease your way into it to, to grow as a gardener and not uh, disappoint yourself to the point where you give up and don't do it again next year. And like I said, this has happened to me when, when we were right before Matt was born, uh, we were living in a place that had a huge garden in the back uh, already there, ready for me to do whatever I wanted to. And we planted it up big time and got a truckload of, of cherry tomatoes because tomatoes will live through about anything and, and including a lot of neglect. Um, and there was too much neglect. I just didn't have time to uh, spend as much time back there as, as I, as I thought I wanted to. So take your time, ease your way in. And another dream that I have is for uh, listener questions, because I don't, I'm running out of tips. Um, <laughs> I've, I'll always come up with, you know, some, some level of, of, of manure or mulch or whatever, but if, there, if you've got a question out there, tweet it to Matt. Let's make good use of Twitter. There's got to be a good use for Twitter, so this might be it. Tweet questions to Matt, and he'll get them to me, and I'll answer them. And, it, and if I can't answer them, I'll come on here, and I'll tell you I can't answer that. Um, but I would love to hear that. That's a dream of mine. Make my dreams come true. You uh, grown some vegetables then this year? You, do you know what you're going to grow? I well, all I've really done over the last few years is tomatoes, um, just because. And and I, I we tend to lean towards uh, cherry tomatoes because we like them with salad and they're a little easier to use. Um, for a while, I've I, I've had this dream for a while to grow really nice uh, heirloom tomatoes, which are uh, tastier and and not as as rock hard as you buy at grocery stores, uh, much tastier. Um, and at some point, I probably will. I just have to improve my space. I don't quite like uh, what my garden space looks like right now. or or And the soil in there is not great. So I've got some work to do on it. But the one thing, you know, that I'll throw out there, uh, because it's true, you know, they, they say that the cobbler's children doesn't that don't have shoes and mm-hmm. the, the dent, dentist's children uh, have rotten teeth. And um, the gardener's... Uh, house is is full of weeds um because you know if i spend all day working on this for other people i come home and i'm like i don't want to pull that damn yeah, weed. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, my yard has gotten a lot better um over the years but uh it's still i got a long ways to go my yard if, if someone came and looked at my lawn uh with uh you know and and was judging my lawn i might have to bury him out and back yeah because i don't want anybody to know well i have a suggestion for for future uh you could talk to us about tree houses because i know you got a couple of those under your belt so (laughs) okay cool well we'll see what i can do on that okay (laughs) i'll refer to matt knows this phrase but it's true blood carpentry um which means that i overbuild the hell out of these things (laughs) so they're held together with you know fortress like 
seven like 70 times the number of nails or screws that you actually would need so well i just know how you get all that concrete up there that's what <laughs> yeah. yeah it takes a little work <laughs> all right well do you have a fun fact to share with us tom Sure. Uh, I, I, I'll preface it. These will, these are pretty short, but uh, since this is the 24th episode, the Willie Mays episode, <laughs> there is a actress and giants fan Tallulah Bankhead said there've only been two true geniuses in the world, Willie Mays and Willie Shakespeare. I think that's kind of fun. Yeah. And then um, there's a, uh, <sighs> There's a Bob Horner. You know, here we are. I'm all. I, I can't remember if I've already mentioned this. I love the Horner and home runs, but Bob Horner of the Braves and Cardinals um, held the career mark for most home runs without a grand slam, 209. A Cub later uh, bested that mark. Who would that be, Matt? Whoa, later than Horner. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this, this has is, to. They have to have played their whole career. Well, okay, here's the thing. He bested that record and then he hit a grand slam. So for a while he held Sammy. Yep, Sammy. Yeah. And yeah. the thing that's fun about Sammy is he went 247 career home runs without a grand slam, 4,400 at bats. He hit one in 1998 and then the next day he hit another. Yep. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You it's probably remember very... those games. That was your first. That was your inaugural season, wasn't it? Ninety-eight. Uh, yeah, first yeah. really full season, anyway, of of ardent attention, and uh, I believe those were like numbers sixty-three and sixty-four. Oh, get like, out! It was really. I I might mm. have that wrong, but I'm I'm pretty sure it was it was well into the year, and uh, huh. yeah, he. I guess it made some sense. I mean, early in his career, obviously, he was hitting. I think he had one of those 30-30 seasons, maybe in 93. Did it like half of it from the leadoff spot. So, of course, he wasn't going to be hitting grand slams. Um, and just the fact of playing for the Cubs, who were pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> he didn't get a lot of chances to hit grand slams. But it's still extraordinary that he went so long without doing it. And then, yeah back-to-back -back days uh and i think even in two different stadia i think one was in arizona maybe and one in houston but uh wow once he mm. did it the the seal was broken so huh. that is a fun one and i love that Tallulah bankhead quote i love uh thinking about baseball players as geniuses because i think it's it is so tempting and people who don't care for sports really can be dismissive of what sport is uh, mm -hmm. the intelligence it takes and the role it plays in society. And I think people within sport can obviously make equally serious errors in the opposite direction, exaggerating it all. Right. But uh, Bob Gibson once said to Roger Angel, uh, I think being a ball player is about the finest thing a man can be, which I find a really arresting quote because it's Bob Gibson. The guy was very <laughs> thoughtful. The guy was very aware of the world around him uh, and didn't toss that off as a one-liner. He was talking to a guy that he knew, uh, thought a lot about the world beyond baseball too, and held it in perspective, but still 
I think to play baseball well requires a a, a physical intelligence that is extraordinary and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also just a quickness of perception, um, always thinking a step ahead, whether it's at the plate, at, out guessing a pitcher, whether it's in the field anticipating um, within situations or just uh, reading a hitter's swing and filing it away and two at-bats later getting a, a little bit better jump on a fly ball. That was the kind of stuff that Willie did that blew people away. Um, and the way that watching really great guys like it's not every good player but it's the really exceptional ones you can watch them play and come to understand the game in a whole new way because you can see what they were thinking just in the way they move michael jordan had that gift that's what made what unlocked basketball for so many people was that you could see the way something he did in the second quarter set up what happened in the fourth. Wow. Uh, you could see him feeling a defender with, but obviously you weren't watching his actual back muscles contract and everything, but <laughs> when he'd feel a guy out, posting him up with his back to the basket, you could see his mind working. Uh, there is something valuable and really cool about the players who who bring that level of understanding of this very complicated interaction out to us as fans. And Willie Mays is the best example of that in all of sport. Even I, I like expanding Jordan. the definition of genius to include other areas besides, you know, traditionally or historically it's been, you know, math or yeah. verbal ability. But I, it, it, yeah, it's, you mentioned um, Michael Jordan you know, in the early 80s, Wayne Gretzky came along and I didn't understand hockey and I had no way to really watch hockey back then. I didn't even have cable. But the way people were enthusing about him, it's like just, you know, there are people are saying you don't even need to see him with the puck. Just watch him move up right. up, up and down the ice without the puck. Without it's, it, yeah. It's somehow amazing, you know, if you understand hockey at all, which I don't. But I believe that to be true, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, anyway, I have always loved that quote for that reason. And it was a, a good way to close as we roll into a new season of actually getting to watch mm. ball players play ball. So uh, this is this is not a rebuild. You can find our show on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. If you do so, we'd love if you would subscribe to it, rate it review it uh let us know what we can be doing better and, and what you're liking about it you can ask us questions by reaching out to the show on twitter that vile thing at <laughs> not terrible a terrible awful uh if you are on twitter anyway you can also find me there at ma trueblood dj will be back next week he's at dj fox f-o-c-h-s you can reach out to us with questions for the show um, you can also follow along there. I've got a lot of content going up for Brewer Fanatic, a Brewer site that I help run, and Northside Baseball, which we just relaunched this week, which is full of good Cubs stuff, and we'll get even much more full of good Cubs stuff as uh, games get going. Happy opening day, everybody, and take care. Good night.